Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. I do appreciate the opportunity to stand before you and preach today. I've enjoyed teaching earlier this morning and enjoy teaching every week. I want y'all to know that I appreciate you. I, I don't often say I love you, uh, but I do. I love you all, and we love you all. I thank you for loving us and our family. Notice the children are gone today. Uh, that's why it's a little bit quieter around the house and a little more calm here, but uh, Lord willing, I'll go pick them up in a few minutes. But we love y'all, and we pray for y'all, and we appreciate y'all, and uh, it's just a joy to be here. Uh, it's, it's, it's good to look forward to Sunday. It looks, it's good to look forward to being with church family. The fellowship is sweet, and uh, I just appreciate you. And I am thankful for the faithfulness of the elders to the Word and to teaching the truth of the Word of God, and I'm thankful for God's Word. And what a mighty God we serve. We've also already looked at that in Sunday school this morning. And uh, we're just going to continue to praise Him and look at His greatness and His goodness and His mercy and His might. And so this morning, if you would, open your Bibles to Psalm 52. Psalm 52. I'm just going to go ahead and begin in verse 1. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. Selah. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Selah. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying... See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. The title of the sermon today is The Message in the music. Psalm 52 is song 52. Psalm means song. And so this is the 57th song in the hymn book of the Old Testament. And it's actually a comforting psalm. It's a psalm of comfort. Now when you read it, it may not seem that way, but we will see in the end that it should bring comfort to the people of God. If you look in the subscript or, or what's written before the psalm to give a little background, we do need to set the context of the psalm, where he's coming from and why he's pinning this. And it gives some information about the music the, to the choir master, a masculine. Well, it's debated what masculine means. It could be a musical notation. A sacred composition or liturgical song of instruction. So uh, we don't know exactly what it is, but it could be one of those things. It is a masculine of David, so 
We know that David is the author, the composer of this song, this psalm, and ultimately we would say God is the author because all Scripture is inspired by God. And so under, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David pens this song. And it says, When Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. And when we read that, everybody says, what? <laughs> what is that talking about? What is he referring to? Well, if you remember last time when we looked at Psalm 51, Psalm 51, the contrite sinner's prayer, the sinner's song by David was speaking of his time when he had looked upon Bathsheba to lust after her and all the things, the snowball effect of what happened thereafter. And so we went through the, the narrative, the historical account of that happening, and then that helped us understand the song a little bit better. Well, instead of us reading the narrative verbatim, uh, I'm going to attempt this morning to summarize who this man Doeg is and what this song is referring to or what David's referencing when he writes this song. If you want to follow along and see how much I leave out or how much I miss, it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 1 Samuel chapter 22. So this is, again, a, a historical event that happened in the, life, in the life of David, and he's writing a hymn of praise to God and comfort to his people, uh, speaking or referring to this event. You go back to 1 Samuel chapter 21 and what's taking place to kind of hit the ground running David, he's not yet king, is running from King Saul who is seeking to kill him. So as David is running, he goes to this place with a cool name called Nob. Nob is where the priest lived. It's the city of priests. It's where the tabernacle was at the time. And so David went to the city of Nob, the place of Nob, and spoke to the high priest named Ahimelech. Now you see him referenced here in Psalm 52. Ahimelech was the chief priest. He was there. David came, and David again was not too honest with his being there. He actually was somewhat deceptive in what he told Ahimelech because he said, Ahimelech, King Saul has sent me and my men on this trip. That was an untruth because he was actually fleeing from Saul. Why did he do this? Because he feared for his life. He was afraid that somebody would find out that he was there, know his whereabouts, that something would happen. And so he just simply told Ahimelech, Ahimelech, I'm here with my men. The, the king had sent us on uh, an expedition and we had to leave in haste so we didn't have time to pack food. Me and my men are hungry. Can you feed us? And Ahimelech tells David that all we have is the holy bread. The holy bread was the bread of the presence. It was set apart. There were 12 loaves that was set aside for the priest to eat, and only the priest. It was meant only to be eaten by priests. And he says, that's all we have. We don't have any common bread that was to be shared with other men. And so David explained to him that we left in haste and we're, and, and we're on this expedition. And so there's this discussion about uh, if they were clean and there's this dealing with ceremonial laws and are you able to eat this bread? And David assures him that we are able to eat this bread. And so he says, okay, this is a matter of necessity. This is okay. Uh, in this incident, and how do we know this for sure? Well, Jesus referred to it. If you think back to when he and his disciples were walking through the wheat field and he takes the grain and he eats it on the Sabbath, 
and they're accusing him for eating on the Sabbath and working on the Sabbath. Jesus himself refers back to this incident and points out that it was necessary. Uh, this mercy that was given to David was necessary, even though it was not exactly in accordance with the ceremonial law. And Jesus is talking about how the Sabbath is made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And so Jesus is referring to this event all in all to say what Ahimelech did was okay. And it was necessary of necessity and it was a mercy. So he fed David and he fed his men. As he's, David and Ahimelech are there and his men are eating, he notices a man by the name of Doeg in there. Doeg knew David, David knew Doeg. Doeg recognizes David. And David, without saying, is fearful that Doeg had spotted him. And so he asked Ahimelech if there's any weapons there in the tabernacle. And he says, well, the only weapon we have is the sword of Goliath, which you killed. And David said, great, I'll take it. And so he took the sword of Goliath from Ahimelech and left Nob. Now, you have a little uh, blip on the screen. Another thing, another event happened during that time. Actually, David and his men fled to Gath. Gath was where the Philistines lived, where Goliath was from. So it was a bold move to walk into Goliath's hometown with his sword. And you're the man who killed him. And so David actually thought that he was going to be able to go there and hide incognito, but the king of Gath recognizes him, and so he's fearful for his life, and he plays like he's insane. He lets spit drain down his beard, and he plays like he's lost his mind and is crazy. And the king of Gath says, Why would you bring this madman to me? Do we not have enough madmen in Gath already? And so he sends him out of the town, and David goes on his way. Then we continue the episode of Doeg. Saul is wanting to kill David, and Saul stands before his men and basically tells them that y'all have not been faithful to me. There are things going on. He was having these conspiracy theories, think, thinking that David was coming to attack his life and to kill him, which we know is not true because David would not kill God's anointed king because he was anointed of God. And so we knew he had spared his life. He would spare his life. A few times, not seeking to kill him, but Saul had it in his mind that he was coming up with his plot and plan to take him out. And so he's standing before his men and he's saying, you know, even my son Jonathan has made this covenant with, with this enemy of mine, with David, and my son is plotting against me and y'all are not telling me everything that's going on. There's things hidden. And so he's getting nervous about this and all of a sudden uh, he says, I've heard that David has gone to Nob, basically, and has met with Ahimelech, and that Ahimelech and he have conspired against him. So he's thinking that David went there to get the help of Ahimelech and the blessing of Ahimelech to take Saul out. Saul thinks that David had gone there to take him out. And so he says, bring me Ahimelech and all the priests of Nob. And so all the priests of Nob come and stand before Ahimelech, and Ahimelech tells Saul, or Saul tells Ahimelech, I know that you've conspired with David, that you've met with David, that you fed David, that you've basically blessed David, and that you let him escape from my grasp. 
And because of that, you're going to die. I sentence you to death. And Ahimelech assures him, I don't know what you're talking about as far as conspiring. And he basically bears witness to the fact that David's one of his biggest supporters. He says, he's married to your daughter. He's faithful to you. And he's not trying to kill you, nor will he kill you. Because basically, uh, and there I said it again, basically, uh, he is anointed of God and God's man. So David's not seeking to take him out. And Ahimelech's, in all honesty, saying, I don't know what you're talking about as far as this conspiracy theory or this idea of executing and taking you out goes. And Saul doesn't believe him. And so he turns to his men and he says, I want you to kill Ahimelech, the chief priest, and all of these other priests. And guess what? Saul's men would not do it. And that's a good thing. You know why? Because they feared God. These were the anointed priests of God, and they feared God more than men. They feared God more than Saul. And so they didn't do it. Inner stage left. Here comes Doeg. He looks at Doeg. He says, Doeg, you do it. And Doeg tells Saul. He says, yes, I saw him. I saw David speaking to Ahimelech, and Ahimelech gave him his blessings and gave him bread and conspired against you, O king. And, and mixing Psalm 52 and 1 Samuel 21 and 1 Samuel 22, uh, we know that he's doing this, or we will see that he's doing this for gain. He's doing this for selfish gain. He wants to be esteemed by King Saul. He wants to move up in the ranks. And so he wants to be in charge and gain the favor of King Saul. And so he makes that conspiracy, he feeds that conspiracy thing, even though Ahimelech says, I don't know what you're talking about as far as that concerned. And here's Doeg going, oh, I do. I saw it. I witnessed it. And, and he says, well, Doeg, kill him and kill the priest. Guess what Doeg does? He kills him. He takes the sword, he kills Ahimelech, but not only that, he kills 84 other priests. He killed 85 priests of God. That wasn't enough to fill his bloodthirst and in order to gain favor from Saul and to gain monetary favor from Saul and to gain power from Saul and in the eyes of Saul, he not only kills the priest, he goes to the city of Nob and he kills every man and he kills every woman and he kills every bit of cattle. He kills all the sheep and the oxen and the mules and the donkeys. He goes to Nob, he kills every living thing with his sword. He, Doeg, did these things. Well, Ahimelech's son, Abathar, escapes and runs to David and tells David what took place. And David recognizes and acknowledges that it was his responsibility and his fault that all of this stuff took, took place. And he says, it's my fault that your father and all the priests and all the people of Nob died. And he tells Abiathar, or Abath, not Abiathar, Abathar, to stay with him. He says, look, Saul's seeking to kill you. Saul is seeking to kill me. You stick with me and I'll take care of you. And then story ends. That's, that's the event, all we read about. Now I want to go ahead and, 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 and say what becomes of Doeg. Obviously, you think what, what's going to take place with Doeg, especially in light of what Psalm says. Let's go back to Psalm 52 and see what we're talking about here. Again, he says, To the choir master, a masculine of David, when Doeg the Edomite, 
came and told Saul, David has come to the house of the uh, Ahimelech. Now also he was a chief shepherd, a chief herdsman. He was not simply an Edomite, we see that, but he was the chief herdsman of Saul. And so we know now the event that he's talking about when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. And so in penning Psalm 52, Psalm 52, let me just go ahead and in my mind, I want you to draw two columns. I know we've done this before, but oftentimes in Scripture we have a comparison and a contrast. So you have two groups that are being contrasted here. Personally, you have Doeg on this side and you have David on this side. They're both being contrasted in this psalm. And so when David is penning this, he's speaking specifically of Doeg in this event that I just referenced. And he's talking about him. But what I want us to see when in bridging the gap between the then to the now and how this applies to us in a broader sense, Doeg is the epitome of wickedness. So he's the representation of all wicked, lost, godless, sinful, evil people. And so we could classify presently all those who are anti-God in rebellion against God and who are God-haters are like Doeg in that sense. And on the other side of the coin, so they're the picture of wickedness. And on this side of the coin you have David and he's the picture of righteousness. Now we know that he fails, he's not perfect, but he is a pursuer of God. He's trusting in God. He's fearful of God and following God and reverencing and seeking to honor God, and so he's a picture of righteousness, those who are God followers. So you have God-haters or the godless, and then you have God-fearers, God-followers over here. So he's comparing and contrasting these two groups, the wicked and the righteous, in Psalm 52. And remember, in the background, this is a psalm of comfort for those who are the children of God, for the righteous. Now let's break it down and see what's taking place here in Psalm 52. Now knowing the context in which he's remembering this event in his life and writing these things. First thing we see in verses 1 through 4 are the characteristics of the wicked. So again, you have this column over here and this column over here. We're going to be looking at the characteristics of the wicked. And what I want you to notice in each of these verses is they come from a spirit of pride and these are sins that are sins of the tongue. They're sins of the heart, ultimately, but what's in the heart comes through what's done with their mouth, and so these are sins of the tongue. And we see it repeated in verses 1 through 4. Look, look back at verse 1. David begins by asking the question, he says, Why do you boast, O evil, or why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? So this boasting is bragging. He's bragging about his sin, he's bragging about his wickedness, his evil, his sinfulness. And as I mentioned in Sunday school, I want to go ahead and say, when you read this in this category of the wicked, I want you to fast forward to the New Testament and remember what Paul writes in Romans 1. Uh, so you're going to see a lot of elements of Romans 1 here as he's categorizing Doeg 
the embodiment of what and who is wicked. So he says, why, Doeg, personally, do you boast of evil, this evil that you've done? And then he says, oh, mighty man. That's kind of a dig at him, really. Because is Doeg really a mighty man? Is he really a hero, as this word could be translated? Pretty much what David is saying is, some big man you are. You killed priests who were unarmed and who were pursuing peace and would not fight you. And then beyond that, you kill women and children who were defenseless. And then if you really want to show how dirty and wicked you are, you even killed their animals. Those animals weren't biting back or fighting back. You just slaughtered everything. You are some big man. You can almost see that. It's a dig. And he says, and you boast of this. You brag about your sin and your sinfulness. Well, that's what Doeg did. Now, in a broader sense, what do wicked people do? They boast of their sin, right? They brag about it. Going back to Romans 1, it says not only they boast and brag about it, but they give hearty approval to others who want to join them in their sin. They support that. So we see this comparison and contrast. But then notice what he says in the second half of verse 1. He says almost as if he's whispering. I can, I, I can just in my mind's I almost see him going, the steadfast love of God endures all the day. Doeg, don't you get this? Don't you understand this? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. In other words, you're not getting away with anything. Your sin and your sinfulness and your wickedness is temporary, but don't you know that God's covenantal love for His people endures forever and that they will gain glory in eternity and, and, and be in glory with God forever and ever because of the steadfast love of God, which is eternal because of this covenantal love for God? And if you skip down to verse 7, you'll see it's repeated. He say, uh, or I believe it's 7, not 7, Let's see, it's verse 8. He says, I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. That's actually that Hebrew word, hesed. <laughs> you know that one that it sounds like you're clearing your throat, hesed. It's, it's such a huge, beautiful word. It's referring to the grace, the love, the mercy, the kindness, the salvific, saving love the steadfast, eternal love that God has for His people. He is faithful to His covenant. He is faithful to His people. And so David is saying basically to Doeg, Doeg, your time is temporary. This wickedness is temporary. But for those that love God, God's love never fails them. And you might defeat them here. You might kill them here. You might kill the body. But they fear Him who kills body and soul. And they go to glory to be with Him, and His love never ceases for them. Your love and your wickedness is going to come to an end, so it's almost like He makes that plug right there. Don't you know this, Doeg? Don't you remember this? And then look, after He asks him this question, He, he, he begins to, to give these characteristics of His wickedness. He begins to call Him exactly what He is. He says, and what He does... So his words and his works and his ways are all wicked, and David's making that abundantly clear. He says, your tongue, you could put doeg, your tongue, doeg, plots destruction. He plans this. 
He plotted this. This is premeditated. So you go back to the event and probably as Saul is questioning and saying all this and he steps forth and says, hey, I know what Ahimelech did and I know what David did and he's coming out with his words. He's orchestrating exactly what he wants to come to pass and that's him being esteemed again in the eyes of Saul and the priest of God being taken out. And then he even gets to do it himself. And so David says, Your tongue plots destruction. Like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. Words cut, right? They cut like a knife. And he's cutting up Ahimelech. He's cutting up David. And he's making Saul just seethe in anger more and more. So that's going to bring this. So he works his tongue like a surgeon works a scalpel. Like a murderer with a knife or a razor in his hand, he cuts to kill. And Doeg's done this with his tongue, and he's saying it's the same way with the wicked. The wicked plot destruction. So they boast and brag of their sin and their sinfulness. Verse 2 says their tongue plots and plans destruction. He takes it a step further and says they're workers of deceit. They seek to deceive. And let me remind you, who is the master deceiver? Satan. He seeks to deceive. Well, the wicked, his children, seek to deceive as well. They are workers of deceit. And then in verse 4, he says, You love evil more than good. That's easy to understand. They like wickedness and sin more than what's good and true and right. So they love their sin and their sinfulness more than God. And he says, and, and lying more than speaking what is right and true. So they love to lie, they love to deceive, and again, these are sins of the tongue, sins of the tongue, coming from a prideful heart. So they love evil more than good. They love lying more than telling the truth. And then we have that word selah, which musically speaking could mean a dramatic pause or a crescendo, either like, yeah, do you get this, or... Yeah, y'all understand what's up? This pause. And then he continues on in verse 4, giving characteristics of the wicked, characteristics that, that Doeg embodies. And he says, you Doeg love all the words that devour, that chew up, that destroy. So we see this slander, this gossip, this deceit. This plotting, this deception, all of this was in order to destroy God's people, to destroy truth, to attack what's right and good, all to self-promote himself so that he can gain favor and that he could gain wealth. And we'll see this later in what, what David writes here in the psalm. So as we get to verse 4, and he ends by again stating, O deceitful tongue, emphasizing the fact that the wicked love lies, they're haters of truth and lovers of lies. To sum up again, the, character of the characteristics of the wicked is they boast and they brag of their sin and their sinfulness. Verse 1, their tongue plots and plans destruction, they're workers of deceit and deception. Verse 2, they love evil more than good, they love lying more than telling the truth, what's right, good, and true. Verse 3, Verse 4, they love all the words that devour, and they have a deceitful tongue. So again, remember what we read in Romans 1. This is a picture of the wicked that still remain in our presence today in 2023. And also remember what Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. This is a paraphrase. He says, the mouth speaks that which fills the heart. 
And so they're wicked both inside and out. Their words are wicked. Their ways are wicked. They are a wicked, godless, not God-fearing people. Then we get to the second part of the psalm, verses 5 through 7. And here we see that condemnation will come to the wicked. Judgment will come to the wicked. That's the negative, but this also has a positive effect, and we need to note that this condemnation and judgment of the wicked is going to in turn remind or reinforce and undergird to strengthen the righteous continuing to follow God. So it's going to encourage them to continue to follow God Almighty and to see and to know beyond the shadow of any doubt that He is faithful to His promises. He is faithful to His covenant people. And so they can be comforted. Here's where they can be comforted in this fact. God is sovereign. He is faithful. He is good. And condemnation will come to the wicked. So let's look at this. Look at verse 5. Here's the contrast, the shift. This is you, Doeg. This is what you're doing. But look at what God's going to do. God, not, not men, God is going to accomplish this. God is going to break you down forever. And so... What David's emphasizing here time and time again in, verse, in, in verses 5 and verses 6 and verses 7 is you're going to be destroyed. You are going to be ultimately destroyed. He says God is going to break you down forever just like you would break down a house or tear down a house. We get this imagery. God, you're trying to build up on sand that's going to sink. You're trying to build up. You have more of a fear of people than you have of God and God in the end is just going to break you down. All these kingdoms you're trying to build, all of this clout and, and that you're trying to build, your kingdom's going to fall and God's going to tear it down brick after brick, piece after piece. Then notice he goes from this building being torn down to the imagery. He says he's going to snatch and tear you from your tent. He's going to take your life. You're here on this world. You're here in this earth. You're alive now, but God is going to take you out one day. Tents are temporary, right? We, we don't think, hey, I'm going to go to my tent. You know, I just came from my tent. No, tents are temporary. And that's basically what God is saying here. He said, and, and what David is saying here, you need to understand that when it comes to God, you are finite, you are temporary, and God's going to take you out. Your life is going to end, and, and the picture, the imagery here is absolute destruction. God's going to snatch you up, and He's going to tear you down and tear you from your tent. You're going to die, again, be destroyed by God. And then if that's not clear enough, we get the picture of a gardener here. Look, he says he's going to uproot you. And actually, it's cool in Hebrew because that's not just out. It's twisting the root, you know, really wanting to kill it and pulling it up vigorously, ripping that thing out of the ground. And that's the picture. He says God is going to uproot you from the land of the living. You're going to die. You're going to be destroyed. But in all of these things, he's, basically, he's saying you're going to perish. You're going to perish. You're not just going to die physical death. You're going to be eternally separated from God forever in a place called hell. You're going to be destroyed. You're going to be judged. You're going to be condemned. 
Doeg, and all wicked people. So what do we see? God's ultimately going to break you down. God's ultimately going to snatch you up. God's going to uproot you like a weed from the garden. Utter destruction, utter destruction. Doeg, you're going to be destroyed. And wicked people, sinful, godless, evil people, you're going to be destroyed. And if you remember as we've gone through the book of Ecclesiastes, this is what Solomon makes clear. Why does it seem that the wicked prosper? And then he says, we need to understand that they may prosper here, but they're not getting away with anything. God's ultimately going to set it all straight. God's going to judge the wicked. Even scripture says, do not be deceived. God will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And yet we could be comforted even in the suffering and the persecution because God's steadfast love and faithfulness for his people endures forever. His mercies never come to an end. And so we get to verses 6 and 7. It says the righteous. So here's, here's, that's the negative that the, the wicked are going to be destroyed. But how is this going to bring comfort? How should this comfort us? It says in verse 6, The righteous, the children of God, the Christian, the believer, shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. And so David personally is saying, This is what Doeg did. And Doeg is going to be destroyed. And notice he says, the righteous shall see it. So what happened to Doeg? We don't know exactly what happened. Now I read some rabbinical literature, not scripture, some history from rabbis written down. And some say the angels of God destroyed Doeg. Maybe. I'm not saying it's scripture. This is legend according to Jewish writings. Some say that some of his students, his peers, rose up and killed him. Uh, Others say, and it would seem to make logical sense according to what David's writing, that David killed him eventually when he became king. Now we don't know. We don't know what happened to Doeg, but we do know this. He was destroyed. He was taken out. And according to verse 6, the people of God saw it and they feared God. It, it brought this holy fear and reverence of God. And I have visions of Ananias and Sapphira, right? They come in, they're questioned, God strikes them down, and what does it say? In fear passed through. In fear passed through. Because of their sin, they were judged on the spot and Pretty much what David is saying here in the psalm, Doeg is going to pay in such a way that the righteous are going to see it, that the wicked are destroyed, and they're going to say, you know what? God's word is true. He's faithful to his word. That makes us want to follow him more nearly and love him more dearly because God is God and he is faithful to his word. He will condemn and judge the wicked but we can be comforted as his people because the steadfast love of, his, of, this, of this covenantal keeping God endures forever. And notice he says, and they shall laugh at him. Saying, see the man who would not... And so here again is this seeing. They see the man and they're, they're saying, he did not make God his refuge, his life. 
was not grounded and founded upon the truth of God's word. He was not rooted and grounded and founded in God. And as Jesus Christ said, that sinking sand is going to crash. It's going to be destroyed. The one who hears his words and obeys is like a man who his house is built on the rock. And when God's judgment falls, he stands. But Doeg had built his house on the wrong rock and the people saw it and they laughed. And eventually, this is comforting to God's people too. In a way, when, when Christ returns and we see all things coming, uh, the consummation of all things in, a, in this way, it, though painful, it'll be, how could they do it? How could they be so foolish as to not trust in this God? How could they have trusted in anything other than God? How can they trust in their good works to save them? How can they trust in this or that to save them? The only thing that could save them with God is God. So the wicked will, uh, the righteous will look and they'll laugh. David is going to look, the righteous is going to look at Doed and laugh saying, see this man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction, his own works of destruction. So we're reminded here of the verse where Jesus says, what does it matter if you gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? What are you going to give in exchange for your soul? Nothing. Nothing. And so Doeg, feared man, pursued in his pride these earthly possessions and wickedness and sin and sinfulness and a life lived in rebellion against God and ultimately his kingdom came crashing in. And then here we have David. Here's, here's where we get to this. The child of God, verses 8 and 9. The child or the children of God, the Christian, can find comfort in the covenant-keeping God. So here's David. Here's a picture of the righteous. We could say also these are characteristics of the righteous in contrast to the characteristics of the wicked found in the first few verses. The children of God can find comfort in the covenant-keeping God. David says, but I, I, a follower of God, a God-fearer, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. So unlike the wicked weed in the field, the godless person that's going to be plucked up, the believer is grounded and founded like a green, like a healthy olive tree that's going to grow and bear fruit and endure and live and last. And they're not in this tent that's temporary. They are going to dwell forever where? In the house of God. And so while the wicked are temporary and living their life, their best life now, our best life is yet to come. And so we are grounded and founded and anchored. Productive, bearing fruit, growing, bearing fruits of righteousness in the house of God. Why? David says, it's because I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. That again is that word hesed. Why am I like a green olive tree as opposed to the wicked weed? Why am I standing and enduring in the house of God as opposed to the house of the wicked that's going to be torn down, plucked up, and destroyed? It's because the righteous trust in the steadfast, eternal, lasting, faithful, loving, eternal, covenant-keeping love of God. Now and forever. A continual trust. A continual faith in who? In God. The true and living God who is faithful forever and ever. 
And then as a result of this, look at what it brings him to. David says, because of this, because you are faithful to your word, you are faithful to your truth, and you will accomplish these things. I'm going to thank you forever and ever and ever, ever, because you've done it. You've done what? You've saved me. You've saved me from sin. You're saving me from this destruction, this condemnation and judgment that's surely coming to all the wicked. You have saved me. You've done it because of this. I'm going to thank you forever and ever and ever. And then he says, and I'm going to wait for your name for it is good. I'm going to wait for him to come back. I'm going to wait for God to come back. For this consummation of all things, I'm going to wait for the return of this God when He's going to set every crooked thing straight and make every wrong right. And when He's going to rule and reign forevermore in righteous, I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to wait for you because that's a good thing to do and I'm going to do it in the presence of the godly, in the church with God's people. We're going to wait for you and we're going to praise you and we're going to glory in you and we're going to glorify you. Why? Because you saved us and you deserve all the glory you've done this thing you've done this thing and so what's the message (laughs) what's the message of the music overall it's this trust in this covenant keeping God this God is sovereign over all things the wicked aren't getting away with anything Trust in this covenant, keeping gracious, glorious, good, faithful, loving, merciful, righteous, and holy God who will save His people from their sins and who will righteously judge and condemn the wicked. If you were to break this psalm down in two points, it would be this. Do not be like Doeg. (laughs) Don't be a Doeg. Maybe we need to get shirts. Don't be a Doeg. Do be a David. Don't be wicked. Don't be godless. Do be like David. Fear the Lord. Trust in God Almighty. And I want to help undergird the message of this song with another song. Look at Psalm 1. You want to be happy? Everybody in the world wants to be happy, right? Here's how to be happy. How to be truly blessed. I thought I had it marked. Sorry. Here it is. Happy, blessed. The favor of God is beyond just simply happy. This is the favor of God shining. You are a blessed person. God's favor, His grace and mercy, His covenantal love is shining upon you. You are happy. Happy is the man or the woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the ways of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, that is, lives a life of sinfulness and wickedness and rebellion against God, but his or her delight is in the law, the word of the Lord, and on the law of the Lord he and she meditates day and night. That's how to be happy. And then look at this in verse 3. These people are like what? A tree. A tree. Planted by streams of water, healthy and green like that olive tree that yields fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and in all he does he prospers. And then here's the comparison of the wicked again, a contrast of the righteous and the wicked. The wicked are not so. 
They're like chaff in the wind that the wind blows away. Therefore, because of this, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Don't be like Doeg. Do be like David. Better yet, be like Jesus. Amen.